Welcome back to another week. Our learning is dedicated to Lilo Yenish Ben Rivka Bat Yaakov Alevi, Lucy, Maya, and Rina D. At the Rivka Bat Yeshayahu David, whose yard site was this past week. And a Rafu Shlema for Tila Bat Yabat Chayatova, Brachli Gail Bat Rachel Gita, Yedidi Chaim and Aviva Rivka Chaya, Moshe Ali Malach Alevi Ben Basha, Shalom and Chaya Sara, Shimon Ben Elka, and Shaduchim for all those in need. We move to Parakut Zion, and in Parakut Zion, we're going to meet the Shevet of Menashe. Last week, we kind of uh, spent some time getting a better sense of uh, Yosef's other child, Ephraim, with his smaller plot that is nestled between Yehuda and Benjamin and Menashe above. And today, we're going to see Menashe. Menashe is a large, large piece of Israel. Well, I, I can't confirm that it's bigger than Yehuda's Nachla. Certainly on the map that we're going to look at several times today, it does look bigger than the Nachla of Yehuda. So let's try to understand what's going on here. And for that, we start with Pasuk Aleph. And the Goral comes to the Matemenasheh, because he is the eldest of Yosef's children. Now, remember, although he was the eldest, Yaakov Avinu makes an, an effort, a decision to choose Ephraim over Menashe. That's Sikelet Yadav, when he flips his hands, it's a declaration that there is something about Ephraim that gives him precedence. And nonetheless, our Apostle here tells us that he's Bechor Yosef. So what do we have? We have Machir, who is the Bechor of Menashe, the father of Gilad. And he gets this large piece, the largest piece on the other side of the Jordan River. It goes to Shevet Menashe. Why? Because he is uh, very powerful. How did Menashe even get included in that? We've touched on that in the past. Where does Menashe come from? It's Reuven and God that ask for the land, not Menashe. There are many answers given, but one of the answers is, Moshe Rabbeinu looks at that land and says, Reuven and God, you don't need that much land. It's not fair that you should get all that land. Who wants the rest of it? And Menashe steps forward and says, I want it. Now, why does Menashe say that? There's no indication like Reuven and God that say, we have a lot of cattle, therefore we need to be there. No, Menashe has Machir. Machir is incredibly strong. And Machir therefore says, I'm going to take this piece. And what am I going to provide? I'm going to provide a buffer, a shield, and a protection to the Jewish people along one of their most dangerous borders. Okay. That is an answer, and that's why he gets Gilad v'habashan. Metzudah's David says, Ki hua b'chor. Why do we tell us that he's a b'chor? Who cares? So he says, umar, b'chor. Even though he's a b'chor, and therefore he should have taken first. He waits until Ephraim takes first. Only afterwards does he come. Even though he's the Bechor, and he's deserving of taking first, nonetheless, Yaakov's bracha and Yaakov's preference 
to Ephraim reverberates throughout history. And here, once again, it is the people of Menashe that say, we're going to wait. Okay, that's a possibility. The Malbim says, They were a lot, they were strong, they were the Bechor, and therefore um, they go there. Alkain Machir Bechorov Wayashar Ishmil Chama. Machir is the Ishmil Chama. Yulu Hagilad Vabashan. He gets that area. The Malvim does quote Chazal. The Gam Chazal Kibushama Shinikral Matemna Shelishnaim Ayabasivat Yosef Shagaram Shvatim Lakrawa. Yosef divides the brothers. It is Yosef's actions that cause a division, whether it's the dream, some of the things he does in Egypt. And, and therefore, Yosef's Shevet is split up. It was the poor of Yosef. When you want to punish a person, often, certainly in the olden days, if you punish the person's Bechor, really um, was, a, was a slight, it was an affront to them. And, and therefore, perhaps that's what's going on here. Okay. Possibility. There is a possibility that Menashe actually is instrumental in everything that happens with the brothers um, when they come down to Egypt. He is Yosef's right-hand man, whereas Ephraim is not interested in politics. And perhaps that's also a reason. Okay, all things to consider. So we turn our, our attention to Pasuk Bet. Now, this is a small sliver of the map where really I, the focus is only on the area of Menashe. You'll see in red, though, there are the names, and I think that's important. It's important to note that these are the families and where they end up. The, the leftover sons. Remember that Machir, he got this big piece of land over here. So the leftover sons, where do they go? They end up where? On the other side. Now, it's, it's interesting. They, they found pottery in the area of Shomron called Kharsei Shomron. Not, it's not the area, but Kharsei Shomron, the pottery of Shomron. They found it from the times of Yehu. Yehu, who we will learn in a long time, in Sefer Malachim, He's one of the kings of the north. Yehu's time, they find these um, these pottery shards that were in Shomron in that area. And what's interesting is that five of the six, five of the six, I believe Hefer is the only one that does not have pottery shards with their name. So they found Sriel, who they believe um, was located just south of Shem. Avi Ezer, which was kind of tucked a little bit more to the west. Shem itself, perhaps, is coming from the same name. It would not be surprising that someone in Yosef's family would be named Shem, because A, the incident at Shem for sure colored his perspective on life. But more so than that, let's not forget, Yaakov promised Yosef that he would get the area of Shem. It's not uncommon in Tanakh for some of the cities in Israel to have names that are tied to those who were in Egypt. Now, whether that's what came first, was it that 
they came to the land, settled there, and they said, okay, the city is going to be named after me. Or was it I named my kid after a city that I remembered and that my family remembered from the land of Israel? Why? Because it, what it does is it creates a connection, a very deep connection that does not end despite the fact that the Jews are in Egypt. It's a very, very important point to note. Um, and you have people to this very day, they find themselves living in Chutzlaretz, but what they do is they give their children names that are very much attached to Israel. Why? Because what they're doing is they're saying, I'm here, but my heart is there. So Shechem is right there. Chelek is right there. Shemidah is also right there. Shemidah, I believe, is in the area of Shomron, which is right around there. And Chefer, there's two possibilities where Chefer is, either to the uh, to the east or to the west of the city of Shomro. Okay, so what happens next? The Torah tells us, the son of Chefer, the son of Gilad, the son of Machir, the son of Menashe. Why is it telling us all this? It gives us the whole lineage here to say that Machir was, Menashe was the son of Yosef. Yosef loved Eretz Yisrael. And it translated, it, it went all the way down, all the way down to his great, great, great grandchildren. It's an, it's an amazing thing. We can teach our children information, but if we can give them a love, a passion, an excitement, if, and, and, and ignite that flame inside them, that's going to be a lot more, a lot more than, um, than just academic knowledge. You need to know, you can't be ignorant, but you have to have that burning desire, that heart felt attitude towards your Judaism. That's what Slavchad did. Slavchad was able to transmit it to his daughters, and he got it from Chefer, from Gilad, from Machir, from Menashe, all the way to the great-great-great-grandfather Yosef. These are his daughter's names. So they say, they come, they approach, they come to um, Elazar Cohen and Yoshua Benun and uh, and the Nisim, and they say, "Listen, we were promised our this land. It, it, this promise came from Moshe Rabbeinu." Now you have to remember the story. Just to quickly review the story, the Benot Slavchad come to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, "Our father died." Now he died from his own sin. He wasn't from the Miraglim, and he wasn't from the Adat Korach. He was a sinner. He did whatever he wanted, and whatever he did. And again, there's different opinions as to who he might have been, according to Chazal. But whatever happens, he goes, they come and say, listen, our, our father died. We're entitled to his land. Now, if you're going to say that he doesn't get the land in Israel because we're just girls, fine. But then our mother should be allowed to remarry. She should be, she should go to Yibum to one of the brothers. Someone should remarry her to get her son so that they'll get the Nachla. 
And if not, why should our father's portion be minimized? Why should we lose out? And what happens? Moshe Benu says, okay, fair question. I don't know. Let me go to God. And God says, they're talking good. They're saying good. They're saying the right thing. It's true. We have to take care of them. So what's going to happen? They get the piece of land. Now, later on at the end of Massey, the, the people of Menashe come and say, wait a second. If they marry out of our tribe, then that land will be lost for us forever. So Moshe says, you're also right. So what has to happen is the Benot Tzavchat have to marry in the tribe. And then the land will be theirs. Fine. Vatikravna is the word that we have here in Pasuk Dalit. If you take a look in both stories, both when the Benot Slavchat approach and when the people of Menashe approach Moshe Rabbeinu, in both cases, it has the word Vatikravna. It's interesting that it uses a similar language. The Orachayim HaKadosh suggests that when they come, and maybe you can say the same thing for the leaders, it's something that comes with deliberation. It's not something they come and say, this is what we want, this is what we need. No. The people come, they think, and they say, I think that what we're, I think what we are asking for is legitimate. Don't think we're asking for something that is unfair. Moshe Rabbeinu, please, do right by us. And over here, I think it's the same thing. They're coming many, a, a bunch of years later and saying, we have this legitimate complaint. Moshe Rabbeinu validated it. God came down and said that we are correct. Now it's the, the moment that our father is eligible to get his piece of land, his piece of property. We do not want him to lose out. Okay, very, very nice. Rav Yigal Ariel has a beautiful idea on this. He says, The greatness, the wisdom of Benot Slavchad was, They don't make themselves the focal point in the middle. They didn't come and say, we are losing. Why will we lose out? Rather, what they say is, why should we lose out? Why should our, I'm sorry, why should our father lose out? They cared, they clung to family. And they worried about its completion and its purpose. And by their concern being familial and, and their father, all of a sudden what happens is it takes them up to a whole new level. They don't end up coming off as self-centered, as um, disrespectful, as brazen, but rather they come up as people who believe and and really, really believe and care and are, are connected to their cause. Says this is what the feminist model should be. It's not a break from the family. 
But Ella, the opposite, he believed to say that what is the woman? The woman is the 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 glue. She is the pillar, the the rod that goes through. And it creates an eternal um, for generations relationship. That is what's going on here. Interestingly, Rabbi Hatton points out that both Yosef and Yehuda's stories have men that are brave that go out to war. We're going to see that at the end of Perakid Zion and with Yosef. And of course, we see that with Kalev and with Neil. And there are these strong women, Achsa and now the Benot Slavchad. Why is that? He shares a beautiful message. He says that the message that the Torah is trying to convey to us at this point in time is that you need the warriors. They're the ones that will acquire, they'll conquer the land. But conquest of the land, as we know from history, is short-lived. This great conqueror takes the land. He, what happens? He is overcome and beaten by an even more powerful conqueror. B'chulei, b'chulei. Torah is saying there's another thing. It's not just conquering the land, but it's taking, taking ownership of the land and making the land one's home. We have a strong belief in Judaism that the woman is the one that nurtures the home. And so what the message the Torah is trying to tell us at this point in time is that the men did their part, but it's the achsas and the menot slavchat and countless other women that are not named in our sefer. They're the ones that make the land go from a conquest to an achuzah. An achuzah, that is what an ancestral plot is called. It's in the word le'echoz. You have a holding, a grasp on the land. And those are the benot slafad. Before we move on, I think it's important just to note something beautiful about Menashe. This is a, uh, a chart in the back of Art Scrolls uh, Bamidbar, the uh, Zucker edition. I love it. It's the uh, all Hebrew Mikro Gedolo by Art Scroll. They have amazing charts and great Mepharshim too. And if you take a look, it has the Shevet. It has the sum total in Bamidbar and the sum total in Pinchas. And then the, the change, plus minus, went up or went down. Um, I, my sixth grade rabbi forced us to do this by hand. Now there's an art school chart. If you take a look, you're going to see that the two shvatim that see the biggest change from Bamidbar to Pinchas are Shimon and Menashe. Shimon loses 37,100 people from story from the first count to the second count. The Torah is going to need to spend a little bit of time trying to figure out what happens. 37,000 people is a very large number to lose. And they, they, the Torah says that in all likelihood, most of the people that, di- that, that died in the, in the uh, sin of Peor came from Shemel. We might revisit that a little bit later in Sefer Yoshua. But the biggest gain, the net gain is Menashe. Menashe goes up 20,500 people. Nobody's even close to that. We have a couple shvatim that go up 10, 10 to 12,000 people, but he goes up 8,000 more than the, than the next one about. So what is going on here that he goes up so much? There is some mighty peace to Menashe, and that is why Menashe is going to get a bigger plot and a bigger role. 
Now, before I move on, I, I did have a very hard time with this Pasuk. I don't know why it took me so so long to fully understand it, but that's why the chart that I made, I believe, um, is a beautiful way to understand this um, much better, courtesy of that Mikra, at least the Pshat. says, Pasuk, hey, the, the uh, land, the portions of the land that uh, Menashe got were 10, Levad Eretz not including Gilad and Bashan on the other side of Shemeva Liyadin. Ki beno menashe nachalu nachala v'toch banav, v'eretz ha-gilad ha-yata levenei menashe nautarim. The rest went to, right, the girls came and took their piece, and the rest went to the sons of Menashe and Utarim. How does it come out to 10? So here's how, here's how it works. Menashe had a son named Machir. Machir had a son named Gilad. Gilad had six children. Gilad had Aviezer, Chelek, Asriel, Shechem, Chefer, and Shmida. The six sons each get one-sixth of the land on the western side of the Jordan River. That's six. How does six become ten? So this is the Dat Mikra's beautiful explanation. This red piece over here is the piece of land that belongs to Chefer. Chefer had a son, Slavchad. Slavchad gets this piece of land from his father. The thing is that Slavchad has five daughters. And the five daughters, in the absence of a son, divide that up five ways. One, two, three, four, five. The land of all the brothers outside of Hefer. And then this piece is sliced into five sub-pieces, five big pieces plus five small pieces, equals 10 pieces altogether. Okay. We turn our attention to Pasuk Zion. Once again, we're going to do the borders. The borders are hard to fully understand, but uh, I believe that with the help of these two maps, we're in a better position to understand the Nachla of Menashe than we were perhaps Ephraim and and Yehuda. So Pasuk Zion. Vayigavul Menashe Me'asher. The Gvul of, Min, of Ephraim, of, sorry, of Menashe, starts all the way up north by Asher, by the land that touches Asher. Now, typically, it seems to go north-south with us. So the furthest piece north is going to be the area that touches Asher, which is the highest point on this side of the Jordan River. Um, and then it goes down to Me'asher, Hamich Metat Asher Al-Pneshchem. And it goes down to the area of Mechmetat, which is by Shechem. If you look at this map, you see Shechem. But if you look on the other map, there is this border area right beneath Shechem that kind of straddles the border between Ephraim and Menashe. And that area is called Mechmetat. And it goes south. Yamin is south here, says the Metsudat David. It goes down to Tapuach. So if you look at the map, though, you'll see that Tapuach is actually on the Ephraim side, not on the Menashe side. So Rashi says, So who got the Kfarim, the villages? And the and the yards, the outskirts of Tapuach, the land of Tapuach, that was belonging to Menashe. 
But the ear, the city of Tapuach, that was Ephraim. It's an area that is between the two borders. And today there is an area in Israel called Tapuach. There is the Tapuach Junction, which is actually on the, I believe it's on Route 60, as you're going from Shiloh up to Shechem. So actually this looks like ancient Tapuach, and the Tapuach today are in the same general area. Again, do I need that? If, if it wasn't, would I not believe that, our la- that it's our land? No, I would, I'd, I'd be very comfortable either way. But it is amazing when we see the Jewish people left the land and the names of the land stuck around. Often by the Arab tribes that were living here, the Arab families that were living here would name their cities very similarly to the names in Tanakh. Okay, so what happens? We go from there. Pasuk Ted Yaradak Bul Nachal Kanen Negbal Anachal Arim Hailu Lafraim Bitoch Arim Nashah Ugvul Minashem Itzol Nachal Itzavyama. And it goes down. So we have the uh we have on the on this side, it goes all the way down um to the other side of Ephraim. And on the other side, it goes all the way out to the Yamagadol. It goes all the way out west to Yamagadol. Okay. So in the in the south we touch Ephraim to the north it's and and Menashe is to the north of that but and the the Yam the Yam is uh, Yamagadol is the border and Asher is uh, it's its furthest border up um, and Yisachar in the Mizrach it, uh, if you want to go all the way to the east to the the, the Jordan it's going to touch Yisachar there as well. Um, I, I believe it's Rav Ariel that points out that uh, Menashe, much like Yehuda, is really ca- surrounded by water. The Jordan, the 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 Yamsuf, I'm sorry, the Yamagadol, and some springs along the way. So Menashe um, and Yisachar and Asher have this area near them of Beit Shan. And the areas around it, the Yivlam and we have Yivlam also and its surrounding cities. But Yoshve Dor and the areas around Dor and its children and its cities as well. And we have Endor, Tanach, and Megiddo also right around there. It's the northern part of the Shevet Menashe's land, and those areas, those cities, and all its surrounding villages, Shloshet and Nafet, um, which that Mikra says, it is a triumvirate. The triumvirate of Endor, Tanakh, and, and um, Megiddo, they were Balei Brit, they, were, they established a, a pact between them, and guess what? That land was not easy to overcome. And, and in fact, these cities were not conquered at the, at the time. And the Canaanim would continue to live in the land um, in that area. I, I hope Emir Tzashem on our, on our trip in three years will get to Megiddo. Megiddo is one of the most incredible archaeological areas in Israel. 
they have 30 or so settlements that are in the tell. They've found 30 different levels. And uh, Megiddo has so many, many times, and it goes back to the Canaanim, goes to the, the, the times of Malchut Yisrael. Megiddo is certainly ri- deeply, deep and rich there. If you go to Megiddo, Megiddo has its own water source that is within the city walls. And that is what makes Megiddo, and Megiddo is high up above everything else. And it it kind of straddles the, uh, or overlooks rather, the um, the valley beneath it. Megiddo is a fortress-like city. And that's what makes it so hard. And when the Jewish people were stronger, the Knani had to pay tax to them, but they never conquered it. Okay. So now what happens? We see the borders, and now we have a story. It's our last story in Parak Zion. It's the end of our, our, our psukim. And I want you to think about the following. The Jewish people, the Bnei Yosef, or maybe just the Bnei Menashe, are about to complain. Not shocking, the Jewish people have complained many times in Tanakh. The thing is, I want you to ask the following question. And look at the map. I think it's a helpful um, tool. Is their request, is their complaint fair? Why did you give me one piece of land? One nachla, one goral, one chevel, one boundary. And I'm a lot of people. Because God has blessed me. Right? There's a Baruch Hashem in there. Baruch Hashem. I was zochet to have so many people. Why did I get short change and get a small piece of land? The question is, is that a fair is that a fair complaint? Or can we argue that it's not fair? So if you take a look at the map and you see how much land Menashe has, and if you add that this is Menashe and Ephraim complaining together, they have so much land. How many people are there at this point in time? 80,000? 90,000? 100,000? Yehuda's not that far behind them. It does not get that much land. Is it a fair question? Is it a fair complaint? So comes along the Red Dock and says, yes, it's a fair complaint. Why? Because Sheva B'nei Menashe, they're the ones that come and speak. They couldn't complain. Because the B'nei Ephraim were more when they left Egypt than when they came into to the land of Israel. Remember, they had that exponential growth. They went 20,000 people up. So what's the problem? They complained. How did you get your nachla? What was the number based on? It was based on how many people you had when you left Egypt. Comes along the B'nai Menashe and say, it's not fair. We nearly doubled. Okay, 40% more. Since we left, maybe I'm wrong, maybe even more than that, their numbers went up a lot. And they say, it's not fair. We went up that much. Why is it that we don't end up enjoying a bigger piece of property? That is their argument. What's Yoshua's response? Really? You think you're that many people? Great. 
go up to the forest, there's plenty of land there. Go chop down the trees and cultivate the land. You can do it. You're able to do it. Take the land that's full of trees, chop them down and turn it into farmland. That's their answer. So, Pazak Tetzayin, they answer back, We can't. The, the, the mountain's impossible. The Rech of Barzel, the Cholak Nani, and in the valley up north, by Megiddo, and all of those areas, which, by the way, if you go there, it's amazing. You can go. That's the land by, by not far from where Devorah talks about what? The Nachal um, Kishon. They're these flat lands. And you put chariots, the ancient tanks, you put them there, game over. You can't conquer it with swords and sticks. So the Jews say, what do you want? We can't get that. They're, they're full of, ch- of chariots and tanks. We can't do it. We're asking you for help. Yosef pushes back again. You're you're a great a great number of people. You're strong people. You're not getting any more land. If you want, take whichever you want. Take the mountain. Take the forest. And that's how you'll be fine. And you can, you can conquer if you really want the chariots. You can do that. You can beat the, that land as well. What's going on here? So first off, I think if any other Shevet complained, the Oshua, I got an answer like that, they would come out and say, ah, oh, you don't care about us. But Menashe and Ephraim, who are they talking to? They're talking to Yoshua. Yoshua is one of them. And Yoshua says, I understand. I hear your complaints, but your complaints are not going to resonate with me. If you want it, what do you have to do? Go conquer it. Rav Yigal has an amazing, amazing idea here. He says like this, Yoshua ta'an k'negdam l'shon heim. Im amrava ta'le l'chayara. Im haribwe gadol kol kach tuchal itmodeidam teva im teva ha'aretz. If you really are so many people, you have so many people, then use your numbers to cultivate the land. The pioneers, the Chalutzim, says Rav Yigal, that came to the land in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, they found all kinds of things. that They were able to cultivate the land in a way that nobody else was able to do. They turned a desert into a blooming country, a wasteland into an area of green. One of the most amazing things is when you look at a satellite map of the Middle East and it's all brown, it's all desert, and you see this little tiny green in the middle of it. That's Eretz But what did it look like 200 years ago? It was a wasteland, just like the rest of the Middle East. Comes along with Yigal and says, that's what we did now. They were able to do it back then also. And he says, Clear the forest. Clear the mountains and you could build shelves of land to, 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 far, to grow on. And figure out a way to irrigate the land. 
And when I was on top of Har, Har Grizim, overlooking Shechem, Shechem is built in, in between the two mountains. They're able to, they, they farm. Uh, you can farm on those mountains. How? Because that's what, that's what Yoshua is saying to them. Clear the forest. You can do it, but it's hard work. What exactly is the message? What exactly is going on here? Hatton says that these men and Yoshua's response to them, it's really more Yoshua's response to them, is echoes of Kalev. The message that Kalev was told, the message that Kalev shared was, I get it, it's not easy, but you have to have that fight, that spirit of wanting to go out there and conquer the land. You have to do it. Yoshua turns to them and says, the only way you're going to be able to do this if you're courageous. You're chazak. You're strong. You could beat anybody and only you can do it. And if you're willing to do that, you will be zochet to get the land. Thank you so much again for joining us. Have a wonderful week. Next week, we pick up in Parak Yudchet. We're going to go to the Mishkan in Shiloh. We might only do half of Parak Yudchet and then the following week, fly through the end of Yudchet and Yudtet. Um, looking forward and continue walking in the ways of the prophets. Have a great 